Amen. Who's excited to be here this weekend worshiping together at Faith Promise Church? And we are thrilled you are here across all of our campuses, whether you're worshiping here at our Pellissippi campus, our brand new Farragut campus, Blount County, Anderson, uh, Campbell, or you're online. We are thrilled you are here. We are wrapping up our series called End Games, where we're dealing with spiritual warfare, talking about the ways in which our enemy engages in battle with us in our lives. And the truth is that we think that we're at battle with each other and the forces that are around us that we can see, but we don't always understand that there's an unseen spiritual battle happening all around us every single day in our lives. And what we're going to do this weekend is we're going to unpack how the enemy chooses to attack us. But let's be clear, as we do that, as we put the enemy out there in full light for people to see how he operates, he's going to be working, trying to keep us to miss it. Uh, he knew that, hey, I'd be talking on spiritual warfare. This has probably been one of the biggest weeks for spiritual warfare, even in our own house. So as we kick off and we start this this morning, we want to take a few moments. We just want to bathe this message in prayer. So would you join me in prayer as we open up and we dig into what God has for us? God. We thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your desire for us, that you have pursued us. That even when we've run from you, even when we've blown it, even when we've messed up, that through Jesus you've given us a second chance. And so this morning we ask that your word would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that you would open our eyes to the ways in which our enemy operates. That we would see clearly his schemes. And we'd be able to counter move against them. So we ask that you would speak this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you're like me, you've probably got a ton of memories from your childhood. Most of those are, are great and good memories. Some of those maybe not so much. Maybe some scars there a little bit, right? But I have this one that sticks out in my mind. Uh, and it was as a, a young toddler. I don't know exactly how old I was. But my parents had taken me with my grandmother to the store. And we were in the store, and it was in the toy section, and this was back before Power Wheel days, all right? When I grew up, we weren't little snowflakes. We had to push ourselves around on our toys. We didn't have these little things called pedals that you press. Like, my child will not ride something unless it's battery operated. I'm like, grow up, girl. I had to push myself around if I wanted to ride around. But we were in the store, and they had this fire truck. And you could sit on it and use your feet to push yourself around. It had all these bells and buzzers and, and whistles. And it was amazing, and I loved it. And my parents realized that I had this great affection for this fire truck. And so they realized, hey, Christmas is coming. Let's get this, and we're going to put it on a thing that most of you don't even understand. It's called Layaway, all right? Anybody old enough to know what this is, right? And so they realized, hey, we can put this on Layaway. He won't know, and we'll just get grandmother to distract him, right? And so they lean over to my grandmother, hey, take him outside. We're going to put this on Layaway. No big deal. So my grandmother picks me up off of the fire truck, and I realize, like any toddler, what's happening. You're taking me away from what I want. And so what did I do? I began to scream bloody murder in the middle of Kmart. It was like a murder was going on in the middle of the store. And my grandmother picks me up. She's pulling me. My parents on the other end, pulling the fire truck out between my clenched legs, right? I'm not going down without a fight, people, all right? I've been a fighter from day one, all right? And so my grandmother does the walk of shame out of Kmart. You've been there and done it, right? With a screaming toddler in one eye arm, with the eyes of judgment coming from every person in the room. If that was my child, I'd beat the living stew out of him, right? My kid would never do that. Yeah, you'll eat those words. You'll eat them, right? And so she decides she's going to try to pacify me, right? 
She's going to try to pacify me. So she gets this metal fire, matchbox fire truck from the checkout on the way out to give to me. She walks out to the car. We get in the car, and she hands me this fire truck. And I take this fire truck, and I lodge it between her eyes right here. Just, <laughs> right? I don't want your stupid fire truck. Now, I don't remember much after that. My world went black. Now, this was my dear grandmother who saved me from so much punishment that I rightfully deserve from my parents, right? All I remember was turning upside down and my parents coming outside and she's got me by the ankle beating the living daylights out of me, right? Today, it'd be child abuse. Back then, it was just discipline, right? I mean, that's, that's what it was back then. Now, now in that experience... Every single one of us had an end game. My parents' end game was they wanted to buy me a fire truck for Christmas. My end game was I want it now. My grandmother's end game was shut up and I'll do whatever it takes for you to shut up, right? Everybody had an end game. Everybody had something that they were trying to achieve in that scenario. And it's no different in our lives. Everyone and everything has an end game. Everyone has an end game. Everybody has something that they're trying to achieve. And Jesus lays it out very clear for us in John 10, 10, what his end game is for us. He says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, listen, my end game is that you would experience life and life to, in, in abundance. His end game is life. His end game is victory. But our enemy's end game is destruction. The enemy wants to destroy our life. Peter reminds us of this in, in, in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be careful, be alert, be cautious, be on guard. For your adversary roll, uh, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. He's seeking who he can devour. But resist him and be firm in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. He says, listen, you have an enemy. You've got to be on guard. We can't be clueless. Whether you believe it or not, there is an enemy who is seeking to devour and destroy your life. And if you want to admit it or not, that's okay. It doesn't change the fact that he's seeking to destroy your life. But we can withstand his attacks. He's very clear in 1 Peter 5.8. We can withstand the attacks of our enemy, but we have to be aware of his schemes. We cannot withstand the attack of the enemy unless we are aware of the way that he operates. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, I have done this so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant to his schemes. Paul is saying, listen, we're not ignorant. We know that the way the enemy operates. We know that he's trying to destroy us. We're, we're not clueless to how he operates. But listen, folks, 2,000 years later, I don't know that that is true of the church today. I don't know that most people who attend church and would say that I'm a believer understand how the enemy operates, understands how he attacks, understands the weapons that he will use against them. And folks, if we don't understand how the enemy operates, we can't defeat him. Most believers don't even believe that Satan exists. Most people who attend church don't even believe Satan exists. They don't even believe hell exists. And how will you ever win a battle with someone you don't even think's there? Now, this whole series has been set in a chess motif by pastor. Now, if you've played chess, you understand that chess is a game of strategy. If you're not a strategist, you won't win. 
I suck at chest, right? Uh, at chest. Chest, what's that? I suck at chess. Don't go there, all right? Uh, I, chest. <laughs> See, just stop, all right? Chess is a game of strategy. I'm not good at it. I just want to play, right? But in chess, you've got to be thinking, this is my opponent, and this is what my opponent is probably thinking, and this is the move that they're probably going to make, so I'm going to counter that move. That's how you win. It's a game, a strategy, and if you want to win, you have to be good at understanding how your enemy is going to operate. And the same is true in the spiritual battle with our enemy. We have to understand how he operates. We have to understand the weapons and the moves he will use against us. And so if we want to win the, spir the spiritual battle with Satan, listen, first we've got to understand the weapons he's going to bring against us. And so this weekend we're going to look at those. The first weapon our enemy is going to come after us with that he's going to try to bring destruction in our life with is doubt. It's one of the greatest weapons our enemy will use against us, specifically doubting the word of God and, and whether or not we can trust it and build our life on it. Now, doubt is simply a feeling of uncertainty, a lack of conviction in us. And the enemy comes after us with it. Now, we see him do this for the very first time, the very first interaction that our enemy has with mankind in Genesis chapter 3 as he's interacting with Eve. He uses doubt against her. He's in the garden. Scripture says, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5, he says, Now the serpent was more cunning than all the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from the trees in the garden? Did he really say that? You notice what he said? That doubt, just planting that doubt. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but she understood what he said. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now listen to what Satan does. Verse 4, no, 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 no. Eve, simple-minded Eve, you won't die. In fact, God knows that if you eat of that, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. Satan plants the doubt in her mind. He implanted doubt in, in, in Eve's mind as the meaning of the word that God had given to her. And he's still doing the same thing today. Planting seeds of doubt into your mind about what, who God is. Can you really trust God? Is he really loving? Is he really merciful? Does he really care for you the way that scripture says he does? Planting seeds of doubt about God's word and whether it's truly true. Does it really say that? You know, the devil doesn't come out and say that God's word's not true. He just plants the thought in our mind and lets us run with the rest of it. He just plants the thought. He just gives the idea. He doesn't come out and say, hey, it's not that. He doesn't come out and say, hey, it's not true. He just plants the doubt there in our mind. Why would the enemy use doubt? Why would our enemy choose to come at us with the weapon of doubt? Here's why. Because when we doubt, there is no room for faith. When we choose to fill our minds with doubt, there is no room for faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says that now without faith, it is impossible to please God. When we don't have faith, we are not pleasing to God. Listen, you, your, your works don't please God. The good things you do don't please God. Here's what pleases God, having faith in the midst of fear. 
Here's what pleases God, having faith in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of doubt, choosing faith over everything else. The only way that we please God is through faith. The only way to please God is through faith. And it's exactly why our enemy attacks us with doubt. Because it erodes our faith. And so how do you overpower doubt? Through faith. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. You get into the word, you read the word, you hear the stories of how God has moved in the past. You read scripture for yourself and as you read the word of God, it builds your faith. And as your faith grows, your doubt diminishes. But as your doubt rises, your faith Diminishes. Do you see what's happening here? And so how do we counterbalance, how do we counteract the, 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 the enemy who comes at us with doubt? We build our faith. We study the word. We invest ourselves in the word of God so that our faith grows. And our enemy can't use doubt against us. But if doubt doesn't work, our enemy will attack us with a greater weapon. And that is this, fear. The second weapon our enemy will use against us is the weapon of fear. And now fear is this paralyzing emotion that comes from an expectation of downfall or something bad that is going to happen in our life. And it is one of the most crippling weapons that our enemy will use, us, use against us. And make no doubt about it, wherever you may be in your life, the enemy is always coming after us as believers trying to promote fear and anxiety and worry in our hearts if we follow God. He will use fear against us. This past spring, we, uh, uh, we lost my father-in-law to a sudden, uh, a sudden uh, heart attack. And it's been one of the most trying seasons of our family's life, of trying to rebuild life and, and move forward. And we've, uh, I've been personally amazed to watch my mother-in-law, who's been married for many years to him, move forward now in trying to figure out life and what life looks like. And we've been encouraging her, hey, listen, you've got to move forward. You've got to figure out how to find joy. You've got to find happiness, even though all this is happening. And we encouraged her finally to take a trip for the first time since her husband passed away. And so last Saturday, I picked her up about 11 in the morning and, at seven, and dropped her off at the airport. About 7 that night, we got a call from the uh, ADT saying that someone has broken into her home. Now listen, my mother-in-law is on the phone. Just, just crying, I've got to come home, I've got to come home right now. If I had been home, this wouldn't have happened. I said, hey, listen, listen to me right now. This is the enemy. Those robbers had no clue what they were doing. They, they didn't know you. Listen, this is the enemy trying to use fear to paralyze you and rob you of joy in your life, to try to put you in a place where you are so fearful that you won't be able to operate. And in Jesus' name, we're not doing that. We're not going to live in fear. We're going to move forward trusting God. We're going to move forward not operating in fear, but trusting God. Make no doubt about it. Listen, fear is a powerful weapon from our enemy. And here's why. Because fear will stop you and I from doing God's work. Fear will, nothing will stop us faster in our tracks from doing the work that God has called us to do than fear. Matthew 25 is the story of, 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 of the talents. And there is a, a master who gives uh, his servants different numbers of talents and he sends them out to use those talents. And to the first, man, to the first servant, 
This is what he did with his talent. Scripture says that he took his talent, he was afraid, and he buried it. And listen to his response to his master in verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I knew that you're a difficult man. Reaping what you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. I knew that. So I was what? I was what? I was afraid. And I went and I hid that talent in the ground and I did nothing with it. Do you see what he did? He hid his talent. He didn't use his talent because he was afraid. And that is the picture of so many people in the church today. We are hiding the skills and the abilities and the talents that God has given us because we are afraid. Our fear is paralyzing us from doing the work that God has called us to do. Now, the Blunt Campus, we'll have about 1,100 people who attend on the weekend there. Out of that 1,100 people who attend at the Blunt Campus, about 350 unique people serve every single week at our, at our campus. Are there more people serving or sitting? Sitting. And that is true across every campus. Again, I tell you, well, the reason behind why so few people are serving Fear. Well, oh man, I can't, I can't be a, a leader for teenagers and be a small group leader there because what if I don't know what to say? Hey, listen, let me challenge you with something. What if the Holy Spirit gives you what to say? What if we quit operating in fear and we move forward trusting God and God honored that faith and God honored that trust and he gave us what to say? You know how I many people who will show up this weekend who are afraid to tithe, who are afraid to give, and their excuse is, oh, but what if I don't have enough money? Well, what if God blesses your socks in a way you didn't anticipate and you have more money than what you thought you would have? Let's quit operating in fear and operate in trust. Let's start operating in trust. Listen, Moses and Gideon both faced the same thing. They were called by God to do extraordinary things, and both almost allowed fear to stop them. You remember Moses? Oh no, God, get somebody else. Send somebody else. I can't do this. I'm not good with speaking. He begged and pleaded, and then finally he relented and gave in and moved forward and was used by God to do one of the most extraordinary acts in the entire Old Testament, leading the people of God out of slavery and captivity in Israel. But what if... Moses had chosen to move forward in fear. Would have been a total different story. And across all of our campuses here at Faith Promise Church, there are thousands of people sitting in what if, who are missing what God wants to do in their life because of fear. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in the heart of man brings destruction. Some translations say fear in the heart of man brings destruction. And make no doubt about it, the enemy will use fear in your life to paralyze us into worry, to isolate us into discouragement. And at the right time, he will pounce on you and he will destroy your life. And in Jesus' name, let's choose trust. Let's choose to trust God in spite of our circumstances, in spite of what's going on, so that fear will not destroy our lives. There's a third weapon that the enemy will come after us with, and that is offense. And if I was just honest with you this weekend, I don't think there's a more powerful weapon that our enemy uses against the church today than offense. We live in a culture of offense. 
everybody's offended. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. I've got a little six-year-old girl that every single day as I watch the local news and it goes to the, the, the national news, we have to turn the TV off. You know why? Because there are a bunch of spoiled, immature little brats running around beating each other, spitting in each other's face because they just disagree with each other. Listen. It's full of outrage. Everybody's offended. And because you don't agree with me, because you don't do things the way that I want them done, because you don't act the way that I want you to act, I'm going to spit on you. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to bull you down with my car because you think differently than I do. At the core of all of that is offense. Everyone is enraged and make no doubt about it, that, that, that offense has crept into the church. We are no different. You want to know the number one reason why people leave church and go to another church? It's not because the music's too loud. You're welcome, Michelle. It's not because pastor preaches about money all the time. I'll take the $100 from you later, pastor, right? It's not. Here's what's at the core of it. You're offended. Somebody said something to you you didn't like. Somebody didn't let you sit in a chair you wanted to sit in. Not too many people are laughing, right? <laughs> you didn't do things the way I wanted you to do it. I gave you an idea and you didn't run with it. Now I'm offended, now I'm mad, and I'm running off, right? I'm going to go somewhere else. Listen, newsflash, you're just going to get offended there. You're just going to get offended. It's the number one way our enemy attacks us. Here's the problem with offense. Listen, offense breeds bitterness, resentment, hatred, and unforgiveness. And make no doubt about it. Unforgiveness will rot you from the inside out. It will destroy you from the inside out. Now Luke 17, 1 says, listen, it is impossible that no offense should come. If you're living in occupying space here on earth, you're going to be offended. All of us are going to be offended. It's impossible to escape offense. John Bevere in his book, The Bait of Satan, which deals with offense, says this, as I travel across the United States, I've been able to observe one of the enemy's most deadly and deceptive traps. It imprisons countless Christians, severs relationships, and widens the existing breaches between us. It is the trap of offense. Many are unable to function properly in their calling because of the wounds and the hurts that offenses have caused in their life. They are handicapped and hindered from reaching their full potential. Offense. It is a tool of the enemy to bring people into captivity. Now the Greek word for offense is trapstick. Literally means, now I was going to try to set this. Um, and, and trip it on stage, but I about broke my fingers in, in, in my office earlier trying to set it, so we're not going to do that, all right? Um, I, I don't set these, so I'm not going to attempt to. But trapstick literally means, the Greek word for offense means trapstick. It is literally this long, crooked arm of a trap that is used to place over the spring-loaded uh, trap that you attach the bait to. That when the animal comes on and eats what's on the end of that trap stick, this, uh, the trap slams down on their neck and they can't escape. The Greek language says that offense is like this trap stick. What's on the end looks appetizing. Looks like something we want. I want to be mad. I want to be angry at you. I want to be frustrated. 
And before we know it, we're caught in the trap of unforgiveness and we can't get out. Offense is the bait of Satan to trap us into the trap of unforgiveness. And make no doubt about it, when you bite the bait, you'll get stuck every time. When you bite onto the bait, you will get stuck every time. But listen here, church. Listen here, wherever you are, whatever campus you may be at, whatever may be going on in your life, listen up. Offense is a choice. Offense is a choice. No one has to be offended. You don't have to be offended. You don't have to be offended by what someone has done. Now listen, what was done to you may have been wrong. I'm not saying that. But it doesn't justify the sin of holding on to the offense of the other person. What was done to you may have very well been wrong. I'm not debating that. But it does not justify you holding on to offense. Now just processing this. God just gave me this word. At the core of offense is selfishness. Selfish people offend other people. Selfish people are rude to other people. Selfish people say hurtful things to other people. Selfish people use and abuse people around them. But listen up, you're not going to like this. Only selfish people choose to be offended. And so if you're a person who walks around and you're constantly being offended by other people, listen, the problem isn't them, the problem is you. You're selfish. Life is about you. You think more of yourself than you should because the reality is Christ followers, we're not called to walk around and say, look at me, life's about me, it's about what I get and what I want. Listen, life's not about you, it's about Jesus and the gospel. That is what life is about. When my eyes are on that, there's no room for me to be offended. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, my Savior, who gave his life for me, there's nothing you can say that's going to offend me. I can let it roll off. And here's why our enemy uses offense. Because the Word of God can never grow and produce fruit in the soul of an offended heart. The Word of God cannot implant itself and produce fruit in our life when our hearts are hardened by offense. And so let us boldly forgive. Let us be men and women who choose to forgive rather than hold on to the offenses that people have done to us. Now this weekend, you've seen the weapons the enemy's gonna come after you with. You've seen the way. None of us are immune from his attack. All of us will be attacked by the enemy. Some of us right now are, are walking through a season of attack. The enemy is, is on us, trying to use fear, trying to use doubt, trying to use offense. And if you are there this weekend across all of our campuses, wherever you may be, if you're struggling with being attacked with one of these three weapons, I just want you to stand to your feet right now because I'm going to pray over you. Just stand to your feet right where you are. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign that, hey, God's going to do something with you because the enemy's after you. Just stand to your feet right where you are. God, I just lift up my uh, brothers and sisters who are bold enough to stand before you to acknowledge that they are in the fight right now, that the enemy's trying to use doubt, that the enemy's trying to use fear against them, that the enemy is trying to use offense to bring them down, to destroy their life. And God, I pray that you would give them the boldness to walk in faith that you would give them the boldness to trust you over their circumstances, that they would not shrink back in fear, that they would not shrink back in doubt, 
God, I pray that you would give them the courage and boldness to forgive freely without justification for those who have offended them. That we would be your light in the midst of this dark and broken and crooked generation. In your name we pray. Amen. Now listen, as you take a seat, the only way to fight our enemy is with the Word of God. Now we see this when Jesus is in Matthew chapter 4. He's being tested in the, in the desert. He's being tempted by the enemy. And Jesus doesn't try to use reason. Jesus doesn't try to grab onto anything else. He simply throws the Word of God into the face of the enemy, and the enemy has no choice but to flee. And so here's what I've got for you. If you're struggling with one of those three weapons, whether it's doubt, whether it's fear, whether it's offense, what I've put together is on my personal website, Matt Grimes Speaks. You can go there on the blog. There's a, uh, it's the first blog you see when you come there. It's nothing but scripture under each one of those weapons that you can memorize and implant into your heart so that you can use them against our enemy when he comes and tries to attack you with those weapons. It's the only, uh, the only way you'll be able to offensively battle the enemy in your life. And I challenge you to do that so that we can stand against our enemy and the weapons he tries to use against us. But listen, you can't stand if you don't know who he is. If you've never given your life to him and over 2,000 years ago, Jesus crawled up on a tree, he laid his life down to pay the price for your sins and my sins to restore us to God. If you've never opened up your heart and your life to Him, we'd love to give you that opportunity this morning across this room, across every campus. If you're ready to do that, just simply pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for paying the price for my sin, for the wrong I've done that separates me from you. I give you my life. Lead me and guide me. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you fill out what's called a communication card, seat back pocket in front of you. We're gonna go into another uh, time of worship. And as we start in the next, this next minute or so, if this is your first time, maybe you prayed that prayer, maybe you need to get signed up for next steps or find a small group, all of that can be done on that communication card. As the band and uh, our worship team comes back out, would you pull that out, complete that if you need it, and you can drop that in the offering as it comes by in just a few moments.